So I think one of the most important financial backbones of any business is recurring revenue. And if you're 100% reliant on your day-to-day e-commerce sales, that can be really hard for planning for the future. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how they went from 15 to 20% open rates all the way up to 80% open rates with Facebook Messenger, and why you should limit the time customers can join your subscription program, and why his customers almost never leave his subscription program. Today, I'm joined by Adrian Wood from Modern Producers. Modern Producers sells high-quality production tools for the modern music producer and was started in 2015 and based out of Los Angeles, California, and has annual revenues of $1.1 million. Welcome, Adrian. Hey, Felix. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so you mentioned to me that you have had a decade and a half of experience working in the music industry, and you've had your own personal goals, which you have, have achieved. And what motivated you to start this business was because you want to help other artists and producers achieve success and become a self-made entrepreneur. So tell us about this. Tell us first about your experience in the music industry and how, you, how it led you to where you are today with Modern Producers. Sure. So essentially before I started Modern Producers, I was already in the music production industry. And um, I actually produced records for people like 50 Cent, Snoop Dogg, Rick Ross, Tech 9 and uh, also companies like Coca-Cola, Ford, Nike, the, the NBA, the NFL. And I still actually am the head of Anno Domini Nation. We're basically an independent music production company that helped to pioneer the licensing of instrumental music online for artists and also for advertisers and TV and film productions. And we've actually been fortunate enough to win numerous awards and accolades over the years, um, including a few platinum plaques for album sales. And um, essentially, the way that Modern Producers came about was that I really wanted to find something to give back to the music production community and kind of level the playing field between up-and-coming independent producers like I was and the, the big league industry players by giving everyone access to the same high-quality sounds and tools at affordable prices. So obviously, having worked in the music industry for a long time, um, almost a decade and a half now, and having sort of achieved my personal goals, what really motivates me today is actually ha- helping other artists and producers achieve success. And like you said, creating more self-made entrepreneurs. And I think, uh, you know, nowadays there's, there's such amazing opportunities in music, and it's never been as vast and democratized as it is today through uh, the internet and e-commerce and, and all these different ways of reaching out to fan bases and um, artists and labels and so on. So in a way, Modern Producers, I see it almost as like my legacy in helping to move the music production community forward. And um, of course, one of the test factors behind any music producer is having access to the right sounds. So I guess the big secret in a way in the music industry is that a great many hits are based on just a handful of select high quality software presets and go-to drum and instrument sounds that the major producers are using. So I don't know if, if you ever got this, but sometimes when you're listening to the radio in the car, you notice that a lot of the chart hits, they sound kind of similar, right? And it's because a lot of these big producers are actually using very similar sounds and presets. So obviously having access to those sounds is very powerful. And uh, it's a way of sort of turning an amateur producer into a radio-ready producer. And that's why basically with modern producers, we really seek to create products that provide that gateway for up-and-coming producers to have access to the same top-quality sounds. 
Got it. So what I'm on your site, you have tons of categories, lots of uh, products that you're selling on there. I'm assuming when you first started out, you did not have such a, a wide uh, catalog. How did you decide what was most important to focus on first for you to accomplish that goal of helping self-made music entrepreneurs? Yeah, so obviously having a background in the music industry helps and just feeling out what the trends are, what the needs are, what the requirements are for other producers. And so initially when I got started, um, like any good entrepreneur should, I just started thinking about what would I need. Uh, I, I put myself into the position of our customers and decided, you know, what would what would I need as an upcoming producer to, to get started and really help me on my way. So the first couple of products were essentially just stuff that I liked and that I thought was useful. And then obviously as the business grew, as we started adding more vendors, more products, uh, we, we could analyze trends better and see what was selling well, what people were asking for more. And, uh, you know, we went from just a handful of products. I think we had maybe 20 to start with, and most of them were created in-house. To today, we have uh, 70 vendors who have created over uh, 2,000 products for us that we're selling in our store. Got it. So these vendors, these 70 vendors that you now have today, what made you decide that that was the direction that you wanted to move towards rather than just kind of creating these things in-house, almost become like a platform for, for these vendors to also to produce or to, to, to offer their products for sale? What made you decide to go in that direction as well? I think I realized early on that, first of all, in order to scale, we needed to bring on products um, externally because it, it just wasn't feasible creating everything in-house because it takes a lot of time, a lot of research and development and a lot of money to uh, create products from, from scratch. And essentially, I realized like my time was better used in uh, business operations and marketing and actually moving the business forward instead of just sitting in front of a computer and, and creating content for, for days or weeks at a time. So... I started just researching the best vendors and the best um, sound designers out there and working with them. And uh, we just sort of grew from there. Yeah, when you made the shift from kind of in production mode and creating products to almost becoming like a retailer for, for these vendors, how did this change how you structured your, your business and, and your time? I mean, it had a profound impact on the amount of time I was able to dedicate to things like uh, business development, and reaching out and growing our customer base. Because in the early days, 90% of my time was just creating content. And I think for any entrepreneur, you should try and get to a place where you're working on your business, not in your business. Um, I'm sure you hear that all the time from mm -hmm. Shopify owners. But I realized I was just spending too much time working in my business rather than expanding and growing. So it, it definitely had a big impact. And also, obviously, it grew our customer base because we went from being a very niche site just with a handful of products um, back in the days we mainly just catered to to hip-hop artists because that was obviously my background as well as a music producer to now essentially catering to every type of genre there is from r&b to electronic to house music to rock you name it mm. would you have gone straight to vendors if you were to do this all over again or did you feel like it was a, almost like a prerequisite to to build in-house first i think it was definitely valuable developing some things in-house because it gave me a sense of uh, what am I looking for in terms of quality. It also gave me a better appreciation of, of how things should sound, how the product should be designed. But eventually, I think it, it's pertinent to move to um, a model where you're not creating everything in-house fairly quickly. And actually, it's the same thing that I did with my music production business, too. 
because eventually, eventually I went from just a one-man operation to having 10 producers working for me. And um, I think it's great as an entrepreneur if you can get to a place where you're essentially selling other people's products but making a profit on that because it frees up your time massively. Um, again, it makes it so much easier to expand and grow and really focus on the things that are going to move the business in a future or facing direction. Right. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are our makers and this shift to becoming a business owner where you're selling others' products and you're spending more time on business development and creating these relationships and less time on the actual making of the product that is being sold is a big shift for a lot of entrepreneurs. And some people, it might not be the right fit for some people. How, when you, because you're on the other side now and you made this transition. What, what kind of advice would you give someone where they're kind of on this crossroads that, that, where they can decide should they continue just kind of being a maker versus more towards a business owner? Like how do you decide, how do you, uh, what kind of questions do you ask yourself to determine which path you should take? Well, listen, first of all, I definitely understand that feeling because I'm definitely someone who's very hands-on. And actually the biggest struggle I personally had as an entrepreneur was being to give away some sort of share of control in the business to others. But honestly, that's the only way essentially that you're going to end up growing because uh, there's always going to be bottlenecks and the bottleneck is you if you're in charge of everything. If you're doing the marketing, the product creation, the business development, you know, there's only, there's only so many hours in the day. So eventually for the business to really take off and grow, you need to start um, outsourcing. So I think that's a really valuable lesson to, for any entrepreneur to learn. And sure enough, uh, when you're first starting out, I think there is definitely a lot of value in and being a one-man show and just at least having a basic understanding of every operation in the business. But fairly quickly, you should seek to transition and not necessarily hire, but at least contract uh, some of the work out. So was this a, a new... Well, I guess you, you already said you went through this, this this process when you were in, when you had your music production business, where you make this transition. What new skills did you feel like you had to develop to transition smoothly into this new role? Well, there's a world of difference between being a good content creator or being, in my case, a good music producer, and then being a good manager of a team or a leader of a business. There's definitely a lot of skills that need to be learned, like uh, like I said, delegating responsibility, um, hiring the right people. That's definitely a process. I think initially I just uh, found whoever was cheapest and available, but I quickly realized that um, honestly, it just ends up costing you more money trying to save money on, on labor, <laughs> if that makes sense. Because you you end up spending so much time retraining new people because the other people didn't work out. So I think it's best to just really find the right person for the job in the first place, even if you're paying a premium. Right. What's your process for that? How do you determine if someone is, is essentially worth the, 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 the money that you pay them? Well, we usually start out with hiring somebody just on a short-term basis uh, as a trial period to see if, if he works out. And I think, aside from obviously the, the know-how and the skills, it's really important to us to find people who are, uh, who are friendly, who fit into the culture of, of our organization, because we're all very sort of open and, uh, and kind and, and helpful people. So that's kind of the ground basis of what we do. Um, especially with an e-commerce platform, obviously a big part of it is also customer satisfaction and, and dealing with uh, customers. So we definitely want someone who's who's um, open and, and helpful in that sense. Got it. So let's talk, let's kind of rewind to, to, to the beginning. So it's been about four years now since you started business and now you have a million dollar year business. In that first year, what was that like? 
So I think early on, the only real struggle we had was figuring out exactly what we wanted to do and, ha- and who we wanted to cater to. So really caving out our niche in the market. When uh, we first launched the business, we noticed a real lack of websites for music production tools that married choice and affordability with quality. So there were obviously other players in the market already, and some were doing very well as well. It's not like we reinvented the wheel or anything like that. And um, honestly, you shouldn't have to as an entrepreneur. You don't always want to be that first guy charging into the battlefield with all the arrows on his back, you know. But um, we found that our competitors, they either provided masses of mostly cheap, low-quality products and overwhelmed customers, or they had a really limited selection of a few very expensive, high-quality products that only covered the needs of a small part of the market. So we really just set out to take advantage of that and do better. And um, of course, there there were hiccups on the way. There always is going to be things like lost data and lost code and website crashes, you know, all that usual stuff. Um, and also dragging our feet on rolling out features and tools that I really wish we'd implemented from the start. Right. So you found this kind of product market fit where you recognized there was a market for kind of almost, almost like a, a mid-tier player where there is a lot of scale, lots of options, a lot of products that you can sell that you can offer. Uh, but but then the, on, when it comes to the product side, actually sourcing all of this product, did that, did that already exist? Like how hard was it to build the product side of this uh, th- this business when you first started? Yeah, so we, like I mentioned, there was a few players already in the market who um, were million-dollar companies and doing well. So obviously, initially, we had to find a way to differentiate ourselves. And I think one of the ways we did that initially and, and the way that we um, sort of connected with an audience was that we treated our customers like a community. And we built a lot of goodwill by hosting contests, um, doing giveaways and special offers and things like that. And really, those kind of brand building exercises initially were invaluable to us. For example, we came up with this uh, cook-up contest series where we created a special product containing exclusive sounds and samples. And then producers download the product and were asked to create a composition using only the sounds from that specific product. And then, of course, the compositions are chosen and prizes awarded, everything from cash to products and so on. And that really proved to be super popular and was an awesome way to get people into our community from outside. And it created a whole lot of buzz and boosted traffic. And that was something that nobody else was doing at the time. So all these other players in the market, they were just e-commerce platform. And that was kind of the the be-all, end-all of it. So we really wanted to um, marry that with creating a sense of community within the music production audience. And this was a, a, a kind of marketing, a community building strategy that you used from, from the very beginning? Yeah, absolutely. So that was one of the ways that we initially got a lot of traffic and a lot of, a lot of our audience um, to, to come to our site. So obviously being privileged in the sense that I already had a connection to the music production community through the, the uh, music production business that I run, that was helpful in, in attracting people also to the business. And then really we, we promoted the contest really hard on social media and things like that. And uh, yeah, outside of actually outside of organic traffic, our biggest source of traffic was initially social media and still is. So we always really try to identify and engage with our audience on social media through organic and also sometimes paid means and also through email and Facebook messenger marketing. Got it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll touch into that then in a bit. So when you were sitting down to decide, you mentioned you just wanted to decide who was the target audience, who did you want to cater to. I think that the the most uh, one of the most common mistakes is that an entrepreneur comes along and they think that 
why not sell to everyone? I want to be, I want everyone to be my customer. But you, you decided specifically to focus on a, a carve out a, a particular piece of the market. How did you figure this out? How did you know that that was what you wanted to do rather than follow the footsteps of what's already been out there where you have these kind of high end, but very limited uh, selection kind of marketplaces? Uh, or I guess you probably didn't want to go for a low end, but like what made you decide to stay away from doing what was already out there? I think one really important thing for every entrepreneur to learn is that if you try to cater to everyone, you just end up catering to no one. You really have to drill down on the specifics of, of who, your, who your customer avatar is. So who is the person who's going to come to your site and buy the products? What does he want? What are his needs? And also figure out what's already being catered to in the marketplace and where are there gaps that you can take advantage of. Because what ends up happening if, if you try to please everyone is that you just overwhelm them with choice or you're not specifically addressing the needs of certain people. So it's really hard for marketing and promoting and so on. And to you, what is the most important attribute of your customer avatar? Is it is it like someone that you can imagine that you would you would like? Is it someone that you think is not being served? Like what is the most important kind of uh, question I guess you can throw your avatar against? How do you decide? You know, I, I think I think what you're saying makes sense, right? You don't want to cater to everyone. You got to pick one type of avatar that you focus on. How do you know which one to pick? I think in order for you to maintain motivated in the long term, you really got to find your dream customer. So you got to figure out who you enjoy working with and who you enjoy serving. So for me, coming from an independent music background, it was really that independent music producer. So not necessarily the big major uh, label artists and producers, but the guy who's, um, you know, just starting out maybe on a laptop in his bedroom uh, with big dreams. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the, the scenario that motivates me because that's where I came from. And um, I realized that that target market was kind of underserved. So a lot of the sites were essentially catering to either the, the professional producers with um, big budgets or then to uh, offer really masses of low quality products to amateur producers. So I really wanted to step it up and and give the same high quality tools to the amateur crowd. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. So you mentioned that uh, social media promotion just in general has been has attributed a lot to your growth even to this day. But particularly, you said that you promoted the the contest and the community building uh, community community building events, basically on social media, what, what kind of channels work the best for your industry? Yeah, so we, like you said, we did a lot of giveaways and contests and we also did some advertising through Facebook mainly. Um, we promoted some some giveaways, for example, some free drum kits and some free sound tools. And that definitely helped to initially grow our audience. And then once we had that audience, uh, we really engaged with them through uh, email marketing and also Facebook Messenger marketing more recently, um, which is, by the way, an amazing tool. If you're not using Facebook Messenger, I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, we went from kind of 10 to 15% open rates and 2 to 5% click rates to more like 80 to 90% open rates and 10 to 20% click rates. So it's a huge difference. Um, obviously, audiences are much more engaged and more likely to read Facebook Messenger um, notifications than they are emails. So that definitely recently helped us to, to grow our revenues and engage with our audience more effectively. 
Got it. So, so break down this kind of uh, funnel for me. So, someone you might advertise on, on Facebook. You drive ads to, to for for people to download like a free drum kit or something. And then they come and they opt into your email list to get the drum kit, and then that's where you're able to market to them th- through email to try to, to to basically sell the the, the products that are on your site. Yeah. So essentially, we recently um, adapted that strategy to focus more on Facebook Messenger because we found it's it's just been amazing for us. So essentially what happens is somebody clicks on a link for a free drum kit, they are prompted to subscribe to our Facebook Messenger service, um, and then they click on the button, it sends them back to Facebook Messenger, and then an automated message comes up asking them to also submit their email where we'll send the free product. So it's kind of like a two-in-one situation where we get both the Facebook Messenger subscription and also their email so that later on we can promote to them through two different channels. Right. Yeah. I think email obviously makes a lot of sense to people. That's the way that they're conditioned to signing up to to get such a contact by uh, by businesses. Do you find that customers today also get the idea of essentially subscribing to a Facebook Messenger like list or or a bot, or is it or, or have you found customers that are confused by how it all works? There definitely is some customers who are still confused. It's still kind of in the infancy, I guess, um, bot marketing. But more and more, we're noticing that um, even as we're sort of training and and um, engaging with the audience through Facebook, that they're embracing the concept. I think initially we had obviously some skepticism. Some people were um, confused by the whole thing. But honestly, as long as you engage with them on, in a meaningful way and you're not just um, spamming them with promotional messages, I think it can be a really powerful, powerful tool. Yeah, let's let's talk about how how you engage with them. Is the approach to Facebook Messenger marketing similar to, to to email? Like, can you take the emails that you're already sending out and just kind of put them into Facebook Messenger, or do you need to create something that was native to that to that new channel? I recommend definitely creating something native, just because certain things don't translate that well, and also Facebook Messenger marketing needs to be kept a lot shorter. You can't really send a whole long story email or something like that. Um, that being said, you obviously need to boil down what you're trying to say into the essence. And I've, I found that um, through Facebook marketing, obviously, people resonate more to uh, images, to emojis and stuff like that, things that don't necessarily translate as well through email. So I think just keeping the tone as conversational and as natural as possible and being concise in your message, not overwhelming people with information. Right. So when you say conversational, are you trying to get them to engage in conversation back with you? Yeah, we do. We usually ask our audience questions. We provide information and value. And uh, the idea is to start a conversation because uh, I think that really helps with the whole community building exercise. If you're just a faceless corporation, just sending out information, then people end up tuning out. Whereas if they feel like they're being listened to and they feel like they're having a stake in what you're putting out and what you're creating, I think that's infinitely more valuable. Right. Do you have any examples of, uh, of messages or types of messages that, that you have found to be the most effective to begin that conversation with a customer? Yeah, so initially we tend to run people actually through a, an automated system where we're asking them questions about what kind of products they enjoy the most, what they're looking for. Um, and that really helps to provide the sense of a community um, creating con- content together instead of us just creating content, pushing it out there, and then hoping people enjoy it. So, for example, I would send an initial message asking them uh, which of these product types uh, do you use the most? And it would be, for example, drum kits, sound tools, loop packs, and so on. 
And then depending on what they select, it would ask them about specific questions concerning uh, what kind of loop packs, for example, they like the best or what they would like to see more of. And then eventually it will end with an open-ended question where we then manually reply. So, for example, it would be something like, uh, what are your personal goals as a music producer or something along those lines? Got it. So kind of like multiple choice or maybe two option answer uh, questions at first, low kind of commitment, easy to answer. And then once they're kind of getting into this flow of, of answering you, then you ask the open-ended question, which which can continue to carry on an actual conversation like manually with someone on, on your team. Absolutely. Yeah. So that really helps us in identifying what our customers want and need. And especially the open-ended questions at the end let us um, sort of tailor an answer to specific customers. So, for example, if one customer is saying they really need help with mixing and mastering, then we can direct them to our mixing and mastering blog article, or we can tell them about our subscription program that teaches mixing and mastering. So, obviously, it's a great way. It's a win-win situation in a way because the customer is getting exactly what they want. And for us, it's great because we can re really drill down on providing the correct product to the correct customer. Mm. Is there anything that you know just doesn't or you haven't been able to figure out how to make it work with Messenger that you're just going to continue to keep on email? Um, we're still experimenting. There's like a few, a few caveats, for example, when it comes to segmenting your list. So right now we have a pretty big Facebook Messenger list, but it's really hard to drill down on, for example, people who've already bought a certain product. Whereas with um, email marketing, for example, through MailChimp, integrated with Shopify and things like that, it's a lot easier to segment your lists. Got it. So you just to go over the stats again, you said the the email to your subscriber list might get between ten to fifteen percent open rates and two to five percent click rates, which is definitely on, on par with with the industry standards. With Facebook Messenger, you're getting more in the realm of eighty to ninety percent open rates and ten to twenty percent click rates. This is also equate to to sales. Like, do you get a lot more uh, likely to to convert uh, customers through Facebook Messenger than through email? Yeah, actually, we found that our conversion is a lot better through Facebook Messenger, too. So we've definitely enjoyed using that vehicle. Got it. Makes sense. So I want to talk about the subscription model that you've come across. So you mentioned that today a major part of the business revenue comes from the subscription, which is to the Platinum Circle, uh, and which makes it a lot more scalable format. And you mentioned that you wish you did this sooner. So, so what made you decide to go the subscription model route? So I think one of the most important financial backbones of any business is recurring revenue. And if you're 100% reliant on your day-to-day e-commerce -day e sales, that can be really hard for planning for the future. So I think I noticed, especially from my music production business too, that introducing a subscription model was not only really beneficial to us financially, but also made it much easier for us to forecast sales and to just be more uh, on a sound financial backing. So I literally just translated that model over to Modern Producers and started the Platinum Circle, which is our subscri subscription program, where for a set monthly fee, essentially our customers get the top 20 kits we release every month. And it kind of turned out into a win-win situation because the customers were saving a lot of money and vice versa. The program was attracting a lot of attention, which uh, meant a lot of subscribers and, and great profits for, for us as a company too. Right. Was it harder to to get that initial sale, get someone to sign up for the subscription versus just kind of a la carte where they come in and you know buy pieces here and there? 
Yeah, it was definitely tricky, but um, I actually, I don't know if you know him, but I follow Russell Brunson. Yeah. So I pretty much just followed his teachings, and honestly, that changed our business for the better. And um, we just introduced a really compelling stack. So aside from the products, we also offered a private members group for interaction with our customers and helping them with their personal goals, and also uh, mixing and mastering tutorials, um, access to placements, access to beat sale opportunities, and things like that. So essentially everything that an up-and-coming up independent producer needs all bundled up into one package. And uh, yeah, that's just done incredibly well for us. So I really wish, the, the only regret I have is that I wish I had started that whole system much sooner. Right, yeah, and just to kind of elaborate more on the stack, you're basically trying to create uh, what Russell Brunson calls the irresistible offer by putting so many valuable things that it becomes such a great deal that you really can't say no. So when someone wants to create kind of an irresistible offer for their their customers, how do you decide what should go into that offer? It's just a matter of listening to our audience and also understanding what we what we needed ourselves when we started out. So aside from having the right sounds as a music producer, there's also a whole lot more that goes into it, which is having access to the right network of people, um, having the opportunity to have your products uh, displayed to other people, for example, getting access to the big labels and the big artists. And for me personally, obviously, I have a lot of those connections. So it was um, simple for me to make those available to uh, our subscribers. And actually, one of the big perks of being a subscriber is that you're able to submit beats to the big labels and to big artists and also to TV and film opportunities. And we also have the private members group where um, if producers have any specific issues or they need feedback um, or they want to share information, they can do that through there. So it's almost like an entire support network outside of just the product. Got it. Do you follow the kind of um, the idea of like the value ladder where you are trying to get them or at least you're offering higher and higher levels of service to your, your customers at, at obviously higher price points? That's definitely the direction that we want to go in eventually to provide a more done-for-you approach at a higher price point. But at the moment, um, our business is just focused on the day-to-day -day trading and then we have every once in a while we'll have one-off uh, product launches where we often sell a big package of bundled products for some sort of a low cost. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the subscription system. But definitely what we want to do in the future is to provide a more um, comprehensive one-on-one -on -one training where we literally you know, take producers to, to um, the top of the industry by providing them all the training, all the networking and things like that that they need. Got it. So I think this is an approach that a lot of people take, which is to sell a la carte one product at a time and then move into a subscription model. Talk to us about the, the launch for this. Like, How did you introduce it to your, your customers? Yeah, so initially what we did was we did a, a product launch almost for the subscription system. So we started off with a 30-day pre-launch where we did daily videos and content and just started building authority, uh, not just as a provider of products, but also as a provider of services and information to the music production community. So we would almost overwhelm our audience with free information, providing really valuable content and giving them tips and tricks and things like that. And that really cemented our place as um, sort of leaders in terms of guiding producers, not just giving them tools, but also giving them access to everything else they need. 
And then eventually, when we did launch the product, our entire audience was already hyped. We'd already established ourselves as, as knowing what we're talking about. And everyone kind of jumped on the opportunity when they saw how much of a great deal it was. Do you remember how big the, the list or the audience that you're promoting to was at a time? Like, uh, basically, how much, how, what, what can you expect in terms of how many people might want to convert into a subscription service? Yeah, I think at the time we had somewhere like fifteen to 20,000 subscribers to our email list. Um, back then, we weren't using Facebook Messenger marketing or anything like that. It was fairly streamlined and simple, what we were doing. And out of those 20,000 people, I think we had something initially like 500 people subscribed to a $29.99 program, which to us was already amazing at the time because we felt like this was all revenue we were leaving on the table previously. And obviously, the $29.99 initially translates eventually into $29.99 almost over the lifetime of a customer. Mm-hmm. We actually have very few people who drop out. So that's definitely been super valuable. Yeah, how how do you keep the that churn rate low? What do you, what do you find is most has been the most effective in kind of getting them to stick around? Honestly, the most effective thing is just creating constant high value and and a lot of products. So, I mentioned the obviously the members group, the private members group, the only way to join is through the subscription. And Essentially, usually when, once the producers join the group, they realize that um, they love all of the content that's on offer there. We have a lot of bonus content. We have a lot of interaction. We have like contests and giveaways specifically for our subscribers. And they just uh, start to get a sense of community within this private group where they feel like they're a part of a movement. They're interacting with the other producers. Uh, they're doing collaborations and stuff like that. So while initially I think what attracts people into the program might be the idea of saving a lot of money on on products, I think really what retains them is becoming a part of a community and not wanting to give that up. Right, that makes sense. So you said that to do this launch, you were giving basically 30 days of tons of information to build the authority uh, with with your audience. How did you create this, you know, 30 days worth of content, which is which is a ton. So how did you set this up and, and build in a way where, you know, you weren't going crazy with all this content creation? For sure. I mean, obviously, planning and, and organizing helps a ton. So I think maybe two or three months before the launch, I started thinking about things and creating content. But then also when I say daily content, I don't mean you need to post a full-length blog article every day or something like that. It can literally just be a tip of the day or a short two-minute video just giving people some actionable advice. I think what's really important is to keep it actionable. So don't be super vague, but actually give people something to do right now. For example, uh, here's a trick to uh, improving your email open rate. Here's some great headlines that work for us or something like that, that people can go away, they can use it instantly, they can say, see it's working so that they understand that what you're telling them is not just, you know, grab from thin air. Right. So these are like music business related or they mean like music like production? Like what kind of content were you producing? Uh, a little bit of both. So our audience are music producers, which essentially means that they create music and then they try to sell that music to other artists or they try to get licensing deals or something like that. So we give them tips on both the creation of their content, but also tips on how to actually sell their content and get in touch with customers, make more sales and things like that. So it's it's essentially like a two-pronged approach. The one side is becoming better at their craft. The other side is becoming better business owners and entrepreneurs in their own right. Right, that makes sense. So when you are getting them into this membership, it sounds like the the kind of kits and the product is what might hook them at first, but they end up sticking around because of the community and then the value that that they're they're getting by being part of that network. Absolutely, yeah. 
And actually, today, a lot of our subscribers come from word of mouth, which is literally people already in our community wanting to bring their friends into. So at that point, it, it becomes equally as important to promote the community as it, as it does the product. Got it. What, what is your, your kind of uh, your scheduling like when it comes to curation or product development when you have to constantly put out new products to, to your subscription service? Yeah, so as I mentioned, we have over 70 vendors now, which means we actually have a lot of content that is just created um, by those vendors for us. And by the way, barely any of the content that we sell is exclusive. So we work with vendors who create content and then send them out to us, but also send them out to other websites. We just pride ourselves on obviously marketing their stuff better, so we make them more sales. <laughs> but um, I think working exclusively with content that's just created for you is difficult because, as you mentioned, obviously a lot of organization and planning goes into it. Whereas if you just have vendors who are creating content uh, independently anyway and just sharing it with you, the whole process becomes a lot simpler. Okay, so when you're working with vendors and you're just selling on on this site, you're basically taking a, a cut out of the of the sale. But basically, you're, you're not like buying the rights or anything from these vendors and, and, and selling it and kind of taking the, the risk of selling it in that scenario. But when it comes to the subscription service, how how would that work? Like, do you how do you decide how much your vendors get paid? Essentially, I mean, you don't go into exact details, but if someone had the same situation as you, how does that even work? Yeah. So first of all, the content is obviously the same. So it's the top twenty products that we release per month also get added to the um, monthly download folder for our members. Now, the way that the revenues get shared out is that it's uh, an equal share according to how many products a specific a specific vendor has in a monthly package. So say that one of our vendors has, for example, um, five products out of 20. That means he would get a 25% share. And then we obviously take our 50% cut as the distributor. So that's the same agreement that we have just selling uh, a vendor's content on our website too. And vendors are pretty receptive to this or do they have to, or is there, is there some negotiation involved to get them to agree to be a part of the membership service? Actually, so far, it's been 100% positive. No one so far has said they don't want their content in the subscription service. And uh, we've actually found that we're making a lot more money for our vendors than even just the standard sales through our website. Um, obviously, it's a much more concentrated amount because, say, for example, they have, like I mentioned, 25% of, of, uh, of the monthly package. And say we have 500 subscribers, that could be several thousands of dollars that they're getting also of recurring revenue every month. Right, makes sense. So when you are when when you are getting a new customer from someone's coming to the site and buying a drum kit or something, at what point do you introduce them to the subscription service? So we actually do a monthly enrollment period for the subscription service right now. Though so what we're essentially trying to move towards is um, a almost like an email automation sequence and a Facebook Messenger automation sequence where initially there's uh, some degree of, you know, just establishing ourselves, talking about myself and our company, um, and then eventually transitioning to um, selling them on the subscription system. So this is something that we want to roll out for every new subscriber, because we've realized that actually what's most valuable to us is to get people onto the subscription system instead of just buying a one-off product and then possibly disappearing for months or years, you know? Um, so that's, that's our strategy going forward. At the moment, it's just uh, once a month, we basically open the registration for four days to create a sense of urgency. And we send out a couple of emails to our existing email list and also obviously promote it on so our social channels. 
And then uh, the producers that want to get in, get in in those four days. Uh, if they miss the margin, they obviously have to wait until the next open ro- enrollment period. And you do that monthly? At the moment, yeah, we do that once a month. Got it. That, I think that that's. Um, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it's not like an open subscription service that anyone could join at, at any time. It's not currently no. And when we do roll out the email uh, sequence, what we're planning to do is basically to create some urgency through. I don't know if you know Deadline Funnel, to you know mm-hmm. basically set up an, an independent timer for every new customer where they have, let's say, for example, five days to decide if they want to join or not. I got it. So it's ongoing rather than having to do like a cohort or a batch of people at one time. Exactly. Makes sense. So you mentioned that you are still the head of the independent music production company. And I believe you refer to modern producers as a passive income stream. But it sounds like you're very actively involved in lots of things going on. How, what have you put into place to make it a little bit more passive, to make it the business a little bit more automated? I mean, fortunately, with Shopify, everything is pretty streamlined and simple. There's a ton of amazing apps and tools that you can use straight out of the gate. And obviously, for us selling digital products, that makes things a lot easier because you can just have those automatically delivered to your customers. So there's no order fulfillment, there's no shipping or anything that complicates a lot of businesses. So being a digital downloads e-commerce platform, uh, essentially, everything runs itself. The customer goes to the site, they buy a product, it gets sent to them instantly and automatically, they download it. And then the only thing we have happening after that is some degree of customer support. So if a customer you know, can't download the product correctly or he doesn't know how to install it. So that's, that's the only real work on a day-to-day basis. That and obviously creating the, uh, the new products that we put out. But again, since we're not creating any of the content in-house, it's just a matter of creating a new product page, which is you know a five to 10 minute job. What, what apps do you, you use uh, to, that you rely on, whether they're on Shopify or off Shopify, that, that help with, this, uh, with running the business? Yeah, so outside of Shopify, the main things we use is MailChimp for email delivery. And we use ManyChat for Facebook Messenger. And obviously, ClickFunnels, just because I love Russell Brunson. <laughs> he really helps us with the subscription programs and doing the one-off product launches. But when it comes to Shopify specifically... Uh, there are a ton of apps that we use. Some of my favorite ones are SendOut for digital download deliveries. We also use Boost Sales for creating upsells and cross-sells just to sort of increase the average order value on our site, uh, which is very helpful, especially if you have uh, a lot of content on the site. Um, I also use Countdown Timer Bar because I'm a big fan of creating a sense of urgency. So whenever we have a special bundle of products or maybe the enrollment period for a sub- subscription program is, is coming up, then I use a sort of a push-down countdown timer bar at the top. Um, and we also use Refersion for our affiliate program, which has been pretty pretty well and growing nicely for us. And then most recently, we actually rolled out um, our first ever loyalty program through Smile. So that's something I'm kind of experimenting with to see how that does for us. Awesome. So I'll leave you this last question. What would you say needs to happen in this year, in 2019, for you to consider the year a success? So my... Personal goals are to create more self-made entrepreneurs. I think I mentioned that right at the beginning. So if at the end of the year I can look back and I can see that a bunch of producers achieved great things, they worked with the artists of their dreams like I did back in the day, they created amazing content and they're happy, then I feel happy and content. So honestly, to me, it's all about servicing this independent music community that we've sort of established as our, our target audience. 
Awesome. So modernproducers.com is a website. Thank you so much for your time, Adrian. My pleasure. Thank you, Felix. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.